the Protective Insight Podcast. Putting the you in human. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time it is, wherever you are. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Protective Insight Podcast. I am particularly excited today. Uh, we are about to chat to a, a man whose work I've known about for, for many years from across the pond. Um, and it's and it's been of of such a benefit, not only to my lives, uh, my lives, like I'm some kind of Egyptian, uh, my life, but the uh, uh, the lives of those around me as well, in terms of the way it emanates through me. Um, so today, folks, we are talking to uh, the innovator within the world of fear management, that is Mr. Tony Blower, Coach Tony Blower, and this is a man who many of you will know from the spear system uh, a, a, a thing that lives in infamy i'm not going to detail its its uh, its information so far we're going to hear that straight from the horse's mouth but the uh, the uh, ceo of blower tactical systems his organization has grown into one of the world's leading consulting companies specializing in the research and development of performance psychology personal safety and close quarter tactics and scenario based training for for defensive tactics combatives and professional self defense instructors now you've actually had the opportunity to sit down with him uh, in real life and that right jim yeah it was, it was really great cuz uh, i've had the experience of learning and reading tony's work over the years from the military side and law enforcement side but it wasn't until a couple of years ago uh, I went to um, Byron Rogers Protector Symposium 3.0, where Tony was one of the guest instructors there. And it was then when I finally had the opportunity to sit down with Tony at one of the tables and just talk about everything psychological in the aspects of the defense realm, you know, because sometimes being a defensive tactics instructor, I've been one for years for law enforcement community. Anytime you try to bring something different or new or connect some different dots, you always seem to go against this old system of this is the way we always done it. This is the way we've always thought about this. And you can't, it's like beating your head against a brick wall. So it was just <laughs> great to have a conversation with the guy that probably has beat his head against that brick wall for many years longer than myself, but has gotten through and connected the psychological aspects to the physiological aspects when it comes to self-defense and also with his his own definitions of, you know, self-defense isn't always what you think it is. So we could probably talk ourselves about them, but I'd rather let's get Tony on and Tony up here and, <laughs> and let's just have a great conversation with everything. Cause it's going to be phenomenal. Here he is. Good morning. Good hey, morning, sir. Thank you very much for taking the time out to do this. We're, we're sincerely yeah. very grateful. I felt like, I felt like maybe I was at my funeral listening to you guys talk about me in a eulogy or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we hope we gave you a good send off. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it's kind of one of those things that's hard to kind of condense uh, your life's work into a couple simple sentences because you've just done so much in so many avenues that fits in so many industries, you know, there's just anyone can sit down and talk to you, read your stuff, Tony, and just apply it to every aspect of life. And that's what I find so uh, intriguing and phenomenal with everything that you've been doing. You know, your life's work is just a benefit to us all. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's funny. We just wrapped up. Uh, I did my first ever 
it was a 90 day coaching transformation program. And, uh, you know, there's so many of them out there at first, I didn't want to entertain it because I felt like I was just like, Oh, doing what like everyone else is doing. And I said, well, you know, but I get, I get people from all walks of life, pilots, doctors, business people, uh, executive protection, cops, firefighters, everybody, soccer moms, um, everybody, uh, quasi normal has a, a, uh, an interesting meal to, to protect their family, uh, their loved ones themselves. And then at some point, if your ego's not in the way, you realize that psychological fear affects all of us. And when you're in a type A personality, which is the three of us on this call and probably everyone listening to it, like that gets in the way, right? That, that self-awareness is clouded by, well, I don't want to, I don't want to, appear vulnerable. I don't want to appear, you know, and so you beat your chest, no fear, and you don't get the whole, like my t-shirt says, KNRW fear. And, and fear keeps us alive. And fear is a superpower. If you, if you didn't fear things, uh, you, you wouldn't dive into them. You wouldn't rise to the occasion, but here's the danger. Many of us, uh, kind of shirk away from that because we haven't been taught how to change our relationship with fear, which, which actually, you know, of all the courses that, that I've done, and we've got, I mean, aside from our instructor courses, gunfighting course, ground fighting course, multiple sailing course, all these special confined space combatives course, scenario trainer, like a lot of fun stuff that I've done with like every demographic and every acronym agency and everyone all over the world for decades now, I now realize, and I'm, I'm 63 years old now, and I've been teaching for 43 years. I now realize the most important program that we offer is the no fear program, because if you don't manage your fear, you're not going to manage the fight. That's wow. That should be on a, that should be on a bumper sticker or something. That is, that's profound. Yeah, and I found that I found that a few times when I was uh, when I was listening to your course on the topic as well. There was there were so many just little things that I'd, I'd never heard it quite put that way regarding a human's reaction towards fear, and that the 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 the, the, the otherworldly amount of difference there is between the benefits of understanding of knowing fear and thinking, oh, I can just ignore it and get on with it. You know, there is a there is a a, a difference in that area so just for those people that perhaps you know i think there might be two or three of them left on the planet that don't know you uh, at, at this stage if we could just maybe hear a little bit about why you chose this fear option just a little bit more uh, perhaps through the uh, the infamous skiing story if yeah, if you would yeah. if you would so yeah, regale us it always comes up but but i i've actually uh in recent interviews gone a layer deeper and let me let me nice. let me circle back into the question by sharing this um uh you you both have martial art backgrounds correct you've done stuff right. at, at some point do you remember back in the 90s or 2000s uh the trs ads in the martial art magazines they were the multi-page tactical response yeah. And it was, and every, every few months they had the latest, most dangerous guy in the world featured. And, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and these were four five, six pages 
like long form marketing. And you had to know that, you know, back in the day, you know, a page in Blackout Magazine was $1,000, right? So you're spending like six grand a month. You were selling the shit out of that where you couldn't stay in business. And they were, they were running these ads for months or months, like years, TRS. And every few months they would discover, I'm not going to mention names. Uh, this guy's the most dangerous street fighter in the world. He's been in over 600 street fights. He's, he's fought skinheads. He's fought Nazis. He's fought, you know, and all of this mm -hmm. stuff. And, and I remember seeing that back in the day and thinking, cause we had, we had a, uh, a, a small marketing campaign because my approach was always about the moral, ethical, legal. We were, you know, if you've been following me for a long time, we were doing de-escalation in the 80s. In the 80s, we had our negotiator stance. We had multiple nonviolent postures. Uh, and we would say we would use these to facilitate de-escalation because that was the moral, ethical, legal thing that you should do. And then if push comes to shove, you need to protect yourself and force must parallel danger. Well, what's this got to do with your question? How'd you start, Tony? I'm getting to that. It just might take a minute, but it's 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 kind of a cool, like circling around. Is when I looked at those ads, and this was what I was saying in my 20s. I say, if I want to learn self defense, I don't want to learn it from a bully or a predator. I don't want to learn it from a unicorn, right? Meaning, I looked at somebody who's been in 600 street fights the same way I look at somebody who's been in 600 car accidents. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. You guys are in executive protection. If you bump into a guy and he goes, yeah, I've been in like, like multiple gunfights. I get chased every time I do a detail, you know, we, we get it, we get in a car chase. If you know anything about your industry, you go, this guy must really suck. He doesn't know any <laughs> advanced work because he's, yeah, really, he's spotted really, really every time he's on a fucking on a deployment and they chase him because he doesn't know anything about fucking advanced work, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and you don't want him on your team because you just know he's going to create chaos. <laughs> you just don't want right. that chaos. Right. Yeah. So, so I looked at it and I would tell people like, I go, hey, would you ever send your 16 year old kid to driving lessons from a company that says, we'll teach your kid how to drive. Our instructors have a lot of experience. They've all been in 600 car accidents. We have a thousand tickets between us, speeding tickets and car accidents, right? You'd be going, holy shit, this is like the worst driving. But how many people who want to learn how to avoid violence unconsciously are attracted to somebody who says, I've experienced a lot of violence. Let me teach you how to defend yourself. Going, whoa, like unless you're working at Roadhouse, right, with Patrick Swayze, like what? Because... <laughs> Most of the people listen, and I, was, and I always say this: if I want to learn to defend myself, I don't want to. I don't want to talk to somebody who likes fighting. And there's a lot of people who like fighting. I don't. I don't like fighting. I abhor violence. So you ask me, how did I get started on the whole fear management thing? I'm afraid of fear, like most people. The difference between me and most people is I talk about it. I've leaned into it. I've said. Why am I so afraid of fear? When I and, and we became probably the first company that I know of, <clears throat> if not the only company, that in our training, we make a hard line in the sand between the physiology of fear 
and the psychology of fear. We tell people like the neurobiology, the neuroscience, limbic system, amygdala, you know, all of that stuff, that's all cool. It's nerdy, but it works independent of your opinion of it. What you can influence is how you're thinking and how you're thinking can influence how you're feeling. And, and I remember uh, uh, um, a research paper came out out of Stanford and it was some doctor had discovered a new part of the brain that might be responsible for where we draw courage from. And somebody sent it to me and my immediate answer was who cares? And they were like blown away. I said, listen, the decision to choose courage is a conscious part and you only notice it post incident. You're standing there, the bur the building's burning and you're like, somebody fucking do something. And someone goes, help, my, my dog's in there, my grandma's in there and you go, fuck it, you go. And then those people that get interviewed, you know, they're referred to as heroes and the people who just choose courage on the spot, they always answer the same way. I'm no hurt hero. I just had to do something. And, and they always add something like, I, I would hope that if that were me or my family members, somebody would do the same thing. It was something that compelled them right there, right? When that plane went down outside DC in the, in the, in the, uh, in the cold, you know, water there, everyone yeah. was standing, everyone was standing there going, Oh my God. And one guy swam in to rescue, but there was more than one person that knew how to swim. Yeah. Everyone else let their fear interfere with what they needed to do next. And it's not easy, but it's a conversation that we all need to have. So you asked me how to get started in this. I was always afraid of fear. And I told the story about the, uh, you know, the, the driving metaphor, right? I'm, I'm yeah, signed up at this school because they've been in, you know, hundreds of car accidents and they get speeding tickets all the time. They must have a lot of experience. <laughs> um, I don't want to be in any car accidents. I don't want to get a speeding ticket. If I want to learn self-defense, I want to learn from somebody who wants to avoid violence at all costs. And if I'm going to learn how to manage fear, I can't learn that from somebody who's fearless. I need to learn that from somebody who's fearful and has somehow figured out how to be successful in spite of their fear. And, and um, you know, I'm going to talk next week in Florida to 2,000 people. I'm not happy about it. I'd rather talk to you two, not a thousand times that, yeah. right? And so even though I've been public speaking forever and ever, my brain is still going, what about this? What about this? It's only a 30 minute talk. How are you going to get that done? What if you freak out? What if you fucking forget your like, and, and I'm like, I know what you're doing, right? I know what you're doing. And, um, you know, so, so life is a roller coaster and your, your job is your job is to manage fear. If you're having a happy day, you've all had like, like a few days in a row where you're on vacation or, you know, you got this contract, you got this gig, everything's coming together. No one listening to this has ever had like three days, really good days in a row and said, you know what? I hope something catastrophic happens tomorrow so I can practice my resiliency. Let's practice fear management tomorrow, right? You don't think that. So, so it's a whole, it's a whole different way really uh, uh, to think about the stuff. But as a kid, I was a wrestler, gymnast, martial artist. Um, 
I was a competitive skier at a very high level. You asked me to tell the ski story, uh, but I never podiumed in anything, but I was always one of the best on the team. You know, the coach always said, Hey, you know, you're going to crush it this weekend, right? The, 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 the other athletes looked up to me because I was very, very strong in practice, mm -hmm. but when it came time to compete, I was so worried about letting down my team. Was I really this good? you know, letting down my parents, whatever it was. And that focus, that fixation on the fear interfered with my performance. I could never hit the proverbial flow state. And uh, it was awful, but because nobody ever, my parent, a coach, a mentor, never said to me, what's going on? Like, you're so good in practice. We, we always think you're going to win. And if you ask me, do you think you're good enough to win? I would always say, yeah. I always felt I was good enough. And I, so I was always surprised by like the performance. Uh, and, and to tell the ski story, because you asked it just, just quickly, I was a you know, highly competitive skier. And my ski coach says to me at the top of this race, this, this very famous race in Quebec, uh, where I used to live. He says, um, hey, how do you feel, kid? And I've already like pissed five times. I want to projectile vomit in his face. And I look over at him and he's rubbing my knees. It's above the tree line. You know, it's freezing. It's windy. I look at him and I lie and I say, I'm great coach. I'm good. And uh, what I was probably talking about was I was physically good, but I wasn't mentally good. We didn't differentiate between physical fitness and mental fitness. And uh, he says to me, you know, hey, at the... Course is getting icy, gate 50 or 52, take that high and outside. Guys are wiping out there, a lot of ice there, a big rut has formed. And I got it, I got it. So I take off like a batter to hell and uh, skiing down, miss that, you know, take that gate just like he said. But I catch my tip like three gates from the finish line. And I'm skiing so hard and so fast that when I caught my tip, if you've ever seen like a giant slalom wipeout in a ski race, yeah. I mean, it was just like, it was just like head over, like, like you're just spinning like a, like, and I, I fell so hard. I actually slid through the finish line, but I was disqualified because I missed the gate. And, um, one of the other timers on the course, you know, they got the guys timing at different sections comes up to me after he says, Hey kid, it's too bad you fell because the guy who actually won the race, you know, I clocked him at the same place. I clocked you and you passed me and, and you were almost a second ahead of him. At that point now second in a giant slalom race might be like lapping somebody in the formula one or le mans or you know mm. it's a big race I was, it was that it was that significant the speed but i was out of control i was like mentally mm. out of control so i couldn't control my physical stuff and it'd be like like you guys doing a driving course mm. you can't drive as fast as you want you can only drive as fast as you can you can't shoot as fast as you want you can only shoot as fast as you can. And the mind navigates the body. So if you don't understand the relationship between managing fear and managing neuromuscular communication, that's where, that's where we screw up. And so that, you know, that's been, uh, on a serendipitous level, my life's work. I mean, I, I can explain things in a cool way where I say things and, and I see you Ben go, holy fuck, I never heard it explained like that. Yeah. And I say it now. <laughs> But in the 80s and 90s and the, the decades before, I didn't have the language that I have now because I was more like an archaeologist. I, like I knew I was digging for something, 
but I didn't know what I was going to find. Love it. Love it. Like, I mean, it was my it was my very first martial arts coach that put me onto your work as well. Uh, his his classic phrase was, uh, "You have to take a beating to understand a beating." And uh, there was uh, there was a moment when uh, maybe 15, 16 years old, something like that. One of the first ever moments where I got the living snot beaten out of me. Um, that we were walking through a particularly dodgy neighborhood. Me, uh, me, my friend, and his girlfriend. And uh, uh, someone attacked the girl, and my friend had just stood there, clearly adrenaline dumping, pale white. Uh, and I'd got maybe like, I don't know, seven, eight years experience martial arts at the time, which doesn't mean anything when there are, I didn't count, but nine, ten boys charging as I'm trying to pick my friend's girlfriend up. The first thing I felt was a brick across my face, and I just went down, I just covered up, took what I could, took down who I could. And I'm going, I walked away and my friends are going, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I'm like, that's not the point. Do the math, <laughs> right? Nine, 10 people. That's far too many fists and feet for one person. I don't know what movies you've seen. That's far too many, but I walked away. And right. that was that was the kind of uh, understanding that I took. And it, it brings particularly true here in terms of you mentioning the independency of the, the systems that run that fear response. You know, there is this sort of miscommunication in terms of how I've seen it's that I'll just learn another technique. I'll take another course. I'll, I'll do another class. I'll prepare myself for this situation. When push comes to shove, shots ring out. If your system goes the wrong way, your adrenaline dumps, you freeze, whatever it is, those techniques they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna do squat for you uh, in that scenario. So the acknowledgement of the importance of kind of managing that fear system is is huge. It's huge, and it's it's something I'm I'm sincerely grateful for, particularly when it comes down as well to your uh, your your cycle of behaviour too, um, uh, as as well. That was that was massive. You know, I, I, I could I could keep talking all day. I'm quite the nerd myself <laughs> about, about this kind of thing, so I can keep talking about. I'll I'll I'll, I'll defer to Jim uh, <laughs> at the minute. No, it's a ton, ton of things there to unpack. I mean, the, the ego is, is huge. And uh, I think you touched on it too. Um, what I love about it is teaching at the police academy for so many years, teaching defensive tactics. And you get these kids and the recruits all the time. And they're like, well, how many use of force instances do you guys? How often do you guys fight? And they never could wrap their head around that the majority of us instructors, we didn't have use of force incidents. We weren't getting into fights because we knew what a fight was and understood de-escalation. You know, we got really, really good at de-escalating. And it's not that you can't fight or don't know how. It's like, you know what a fight costs. No one really wins. Someone is going to get hurt physically, mentally, or whatever. So why not, if you can avoid it, you know, avoid that fight. And I love the uh, the car crash because that's 100% true in that regard. Uh, but I like to touch back on what with the, the ski story, with the mental aspect of that um, and in like, what got you going to start putting it together? Because, you know, mindset has been one of those, I think, just like situational awareness. There's like so many buzzwords now that people have just right. ruined when it comes to things. But mindset and self-awareness is such a huge part because uh, I was recently doing a, a detail for the UFC uh, for one of the, the ESPN talents. And we we're watching, you know, the fight in Octagon and he was telling me, you know, the, one of the guys that was fighting was one of his training partners. And just kind of the way you were telling, he was like, look, 
I've trained against this guy. This guy makes me tap. This guy kicks my butt in the gym day in and day out. But every time he goes into that octagon and it's on the line and he's on TV and is in that moment, fails every time. Mm. And, you know, what the, the ESPN talent was telling me, he was like, it just seems like he just doesn't have that internal mechanism, you know, that that switch that gets him from the gym. He's like, he kills everybody in the gym. And the people that he's fighting aren't even close to his skill set, you know, his talent base. You know, these people aren't as talented as him, but yet he can't pull it off. You know, he's got obviously the technical skills, but it's that that mindset metal part. And it seems like that's more common than not that people really aren't taking a look at that. Is that you think like a the lack of self-awareness, like the, the inability to take that inventory and really evaluate what's going on in ourselves? in these different situations? That's a great question. And, and it's, there's, there's, there's several ways to attack the question. One is like wrapping up my ski story. I realized that my ski coach wasn't a coach. He was a ski trainer. In other words, he, um, he trained me how to ski, but he didn't train me how to think. And the way I define, like everyone calls himself a coach, right? Uh, you know, or, or a lot of coaches call themselves coaches, but they're really trainers in that they're saying, throw the ball this many times, widen your stance, uh, shoot faster, punch harder. Uh, you get back, you know, in between rounds. Um, I remember my, taking my eight-year-old daughter to a UFC and we were watching uh, uh, an acquaintance of ours, Diego Sanchez fighting, and he's getting his ass kicked. And everyone in the crowd is drunk and they're yelling, Uma Plata, Americana, ankle bar him, ground and pound. They're yelling out, like Ben said earlier, techniques. Mm-hmm. And uh, my eight-year-old daughter, this is a true story, my eight-year-old daughter, um, we're sitting there and she's like looking at me and she's like rolling her eyes at all the names calling. And I said to her, if you were in Diego's corner, what would you tell him? She goes, duh stop getting punched in the face so much right and it was like so funny that here's an eight-year-old that could see the thirty thousand foot view like the answer is not in your you know i wrote this a, a, a while ago and it's it's funny because a pro fighter i'm gonna pull it up right now and read it now because it was literally he reposted this uh two days ago um what's his name dream killer um so here's a guy, he's, he's, you know, just, just, uh, like, a um, he's a pro fighter out of, uh, uh, he fights UFC and Bellator and, and, um, you know, wicked, wicked, you know, he boxes. I mean, this is, you know, so he, he's a badass. he's world-class, but he just reshared this, uh, on his page and he couldn't tag me of course, cause I'm shadow banned, but <laughs> I'm going I'm to read it to you guys. So movement is mental. On game day, you cannot be another athlete. You cannot wish you had trained differently. You are you. The only thing you control now is your mind, your thoughts. Fear is normal. Fear is fuel. Reframe it. The slogan, N-O fear, has no psychological value because it doesn't exist. If you believe it, you perpetuate more fear. To face fear, you must get to K-N-O-W, no fear. Expect fear, embrace fear, use fear. We must know fear to face fear. We must face fear to beat fear. Movement is mental. And something I wrote like 
maybe 10 years ago, but he just, uh, you know, he reposted it the other day. And so you're talking about that ESPN event, mm. what, what there is. So I realized decades later that my ski coach, who I loved, never said to me, hey, come here, like 15 minutes before the event, instead of saying, here's a new technique, like turn like this, fighter, just like you guys are about to get in a gunfight and I go, Hey, Jim, switch your guns real quick. You got to try this new gun. It's got this crazy new safety mechanism. You're like, dude, I'm about to get in a gunfight. I'll use the gun that I'm comfortable with, please. Right. But what we don't realize is, you know, you always think it's a, it's a, like, like a new, like you said earlier, a new technique that's going to change our life, a new mm. girlfriend, a new job, a new sound, new, we realize that a lot of our ability to, to kind of find some balance has to do with how we uh, control our mind. And so, I mean, I'm getting a little deep here, but, but if my you ski, do. if my ski coach had been a coach, he'd have only, he just said, this guy's a good athlete. I don't need to work on his, you know, it's game day. I don't need to go to your ski or your ski sharp. Do you remember at a turn? I need to go, what are you thinking? If he had pulled me aside 15, 20 minutes early, put his arm around me, right? And said, hey, kid, you know, I've been coaching you now for several years. You're really, really good. What happens on game day? What are you thinking? Because it's like you forget some of the stuff I've seen you do in the practice rounds or last week in training. And I always make this joke, like when I do this live, I, I go, I, I, the 15-year-old Tony turns to the coach and goes, you know, he goes, hey, how do you, you know, how are you feeling, kid? And I go, good coach, right? Like, I, like that, like I'm scared shitless voice as opposed to great coach. So I lied to him. But here's the thing is your athlete, your wife, your husband, your kid, they can lie to you, but you can see in their behavior that they're lying. If you're a good coach, you find a way to mentor, you find a way to create a Socratic experience where the student goes, oh, so what I should do then, because that's, that's really when it starts to happen. So had my ski trainer said, you know, what's going on? If I had said, man, I just want to, I don't understand like why I'm so nervous before a race. And if he had said to me, oh, that's adrenaline, that's neurochemicals racing through your mind, that's pre-contest anxiety, and almost everyone has it. If somebody had said that to me when I was seven at a baseball game, when I just, just before I struck out, maybe I'd hit the ball, right? Because every single sport, because I felt greatness, I felt potential, and I could be, I remember, you know, competing in tennis, and I'm smashing things, I'm doing stuff, and then it's time for a competition, and I'm like, fuck, I can't breathe, what the fuck's going on? No one had ever told me auditory exclusion, tunnel vision. I've had cops, Jim, come up to me and say, you know, I had one guy at, at the, uh, I was uh, the, one of the keynote speakers at, uh, I think it was ITOA, Illinois Tactical. And I had hundreds of people in the audience. And after I'm closing up and I did a whole talk on, you know, that you know, included the cycle of behavior and the universal flinch theory and the, the reality that, you know, you think your backup is your partner but your backup is your nervous system because this is a heavy one. 
your situational awareness, we all agree that situational awareness is everything, right? And, and you know, one of our slogans, no awareness, no chance. Mm. You don't flinch unless situational awareness has been compromised. Fact. No one wants to flinch. And I've had long, long heated conversations with world-class martial artists saying, why are you teaching people to flinch? And I go, I'm not teaching anyone to flinch. It's hardwired. You already know how to flinch. I'm teaching you how to convert the flinch. I'm teaching you not to reject the flinch. Because mm -hmm. if you flinch, and I've had like grown-ass men deny that they flinched, and I got to roll back a videotape in a force-on-force -force <laughs> exercise where they came in, and they're like, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> with their gun up. And I go, you flinched there. You closed your eyes. You missed your shot. You slapped three rounds left because you were pulling the trigger while you were flinching. I, didn't, I don't remember flinching. Okay, let's watch the video because people don't want to accept it. But here's here's the magic of, of our system is when you explore it, I go, the fear spike triggers a startle response. The fear spike trigger, triggers the negative movie in your mind. The negative movie in your mind isn't going to support uh, good, efficient, strategic movement. It's going to override. Your reactive brain is going to make you do stuff. To get back in the fight, you want the gap time between startle and response to be as short as possible. So what you need to work on is mind speed. If the mind navigates the body, it's not how fast I can punch. It's how fast can I control my mind? How fast can I recognize danger or danger close? Holy shit. Convert the flinch and have the proverbially immediate action drill be understood at an operating system level. And it's not taught that way. And that's kind of what we figured out. But, you know, uh, just to kind of like crystallize this whole thing with using your ESPN fighter analogy, part of it is self-awareness. Use the term self-awareness. But a lot of us, you've all gone into a room and you somebody you know really like you're uh, really close to them. So you can tell something's really bothering them, right? And you walk up and you go, hey, you okay? And they look up and they go, yeah, yeah, why? What's up? And then you find out three days later, the guy's, you know, got a problem at home, one of his kids or his wife or, or, or finances or whatever. But in the moment, his self-awareness, he hadn't figured out if he could talk, if he wanted to talk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so self-awareness is a factor. Another factor is something that, that I remember a couple of decades ago, working with a full-time SWAT team introducing them this 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 psychological approach to like pre-fight can we get our shit together in pre-fight and i asked this you know full-time swat team and not most as you guys know or don't know most teams are not full-time swat team you know most most swat teams are made who now qualify for the swat team so you're in a very busy city or in a federal agency if you're in a full-time swat team and so this is a full-time swat team in texas and um, I said to the guys, I said, would you want to know if your number one or number three person in your stack was going through a divorce, just found out one of his kids is on drugs and the other one's a kleptomaniac and he's all fucked up about home. And this is again, decades ago. So they answered, no, keep that shit at home. Do your fucking job. And I said, oh, like, I'm different, man. I would want a culture where if we can all do each other's jobs, but you happen to be the best shooter and you're number one, 
I would want you to come on the come on in in you know to the team room that day and go. I haven't slept properly in two days. Let me fucking breach today because my head's not in the game. I want to go in last. You guys got this. And they kind of looked at me. I said, it's not about like, oh, he's such a pussy. He's crying. I like. I want you to. I want you to be able to say, there's. I'm fucked up today. I do that with my team. Most of them don't understand it, but I'll, I'll come into a meeting and I'll go, uh, I was up all night, had a shitty night's sleep. Uh, this uh, shipping thing is late. That's going to fuck up the client. They're pissed off. I haven't eaten. I haven't had any coffee. I'm in a really bad mood. So if I say or do anything, ah, it has nothing to do with you. It's all me today. And they're like, okay. Like, it, and now it's on it's on them to to you know control how they respond that's the self-awareness piece so i would love to see that guy in the ring who's world class say to his coach the fuck is with me man why am i so nervous in the line and and uh i know jim you've heard that you've heard the story but and and uh you know um Ben referenced it, so he's probably waiting for me. Say the line, say the line. My epiphany <laughs> in the ski story was, if I'm so good, why am I so scared? If I'm so good, why am I so scared? And if someone said it's okay to be scared, and this is one of my favorite lines out of our No Fear research, you can't be brave if you're not afraid. There is, guys, there's no courage without fear. If, if this was a bottle of courage, there'd be only one ingredient. There would just be a bottle of fear. And I've got to somehow, you know, turn that into courage. And that's a psychological thing. Let me share, because it's like, it's just a heavy uh, thing. A few years ago, I was doing a seminar for about 73 people in about exactly 73 people um, in Florida. And uh, we just finished our no fear workshop. At the beginning of the workshop, uh, a guy comes up to me with his 15-year-old son, big guy. He says, uh, hey, um, I'm a professional firefighter, big fan of your works, the No Fear program, the self-defense stuff. Uh, this is my son. I've been training him. And, I, I, and he, they came to our combatives camp. And I was like, so that was like on a Saturday morning. Sunday afternoon, we do the No Fear workshop. And I asked the group after. I said, how many of you, now that you understand the formula, of fear management know that you can control your fear for any scenario they all looked at me i said for example and i told this guy before now that i knew his job i said i'm going to ask a question after the fear management stuff do not answer do not put your hand up i will give you a gesture when it's time for you to answer you'll understand exactly what i'm talking about when we get there. So he kind of looks at me like, okay, that was really cryptic, but I think I can follow this. And I say to the group, let's say you're walking by a building that catches on fire. There's no firefighters there yet. How many of you know you would run in there and try and save people like on 9-11? Those firefighters understood that building was gonna come down. They understood and, and they kept going in knowing it was a suicide mission on one of the reps. But their, their fucking passion for the job as lifesavers superseded their own safety. That's fucking insane courage. And uh, 
I said, how many of you know you would run into a burning building? And there's 73 people there. And this woman in the front row puts her hand up halfway. And she says, I would like to think that with all this training that I could make that decision. I said, well, that's, that's a brave answer. But you don't really know, do you? We don't know until game day. And she, yep. she looks at me and she puts her hands down. I said, I'll ask one more time. Is there anyone in the room here who knows they would run into a burning building? And this guy, I like, kind of like nod over at him and he puts his hand up high. And I say, you cocky bastard. <laughs> you think all of a sudden, you know, you'd run into a building. I said, how can you be so sure? And he goes, cause I'm a firefighter. And the whole room, right? I got goosebumps now thinking about that. I go, are you afraid to die in a burning building? He says, fuck yeah. I said, are you afraid of fire? He says, sure. Smoke? Yep. So you figured out through training how to manage your fear so you can do your job. And that was the lesson there. It wasn't like that he was like, oh, this guy's a firefighter because he's like, you know, you know, he's got this special skin that mm. makes him, you know, in, <laughs> invincible and he can't and he can breathe toxic smoke. It doesn't affect him because he's a some weird type of <laughs> outer space creature. No, he's just a guy like you and I who decided I want to be a firefighter. Yeah, it was crazy because I actually did that as a, as a volunteer and uh, getting used to it. And, and you see there, there, there is a whole science and method behind because one of the first things we did when we started doing uh, the structure fire part of it with the, um, the SCBA, you know, it's a. Like ben, can you hear him? What's up? Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I, I I lost you for about twenty seconds. Oh, SBCA, and then and then it yeah, got so, so yeah. So when you get the DSCBA part on, and they're putting you into like these uh, live evolutions of fire, they're forty-five minute air tanks. So if you're breathing normal and managing, you know, your your breathing, your respiratory while you're doing is all this exertion stuff, you can get forty-five minutes out of your tank. But you found the ones that were very fearful um, and we're kind of panicky we're learning the techniques and training and are having to use an axe and clear things in this you know controlled fire environment that 45 minute tank you quickly saw their bells start stinging you know they got two minutes of air left and they've only been in the in there five minutes you know right. so it's like that was a really good i found a time clock per se of how are you managing your your energy expenditure. I think that also correlates with your fear management because you can readily see the ones that are managing it are able to get the most, uh, you know, air out of that 45 minute tank and the ones that are figuring it out, you know, there. So you had this really neat gauge that you saw change the further you went through the fire academy, the, the longer you're like, hey man, I actually got about 44 minutes out of that 45 minute bottle and I was in here swinging the ax you know, the whole time. So you're like, holy crap, you know, so you're, you find these ways to work through these problems. And I think that's just something that people don't, don't do. And I, what I find with what you're doing, Tony, is you, you hit on the why. And I find with like, the why is so important and people don't, don't touch on it. And I think it's the same thing with, like you said, with having the right coach, the right training. Um, ben and I, Ben, you and I talk about this and different things when it comes to the behavior profiling side of stuff. Yeah, so many want, people want to teach you, you know, the who, the what, you know, you might know what a fear spike is. Someone might be able to tell you when a fear spike may occur. 
But you know, all that stuff fills itself out the minute you can comprehend and understand the why. Why is this occurring? You know, the why to me fills out the when, the what, the how. And you don't get it. And I I, I correlate this with different instructors. And you use firearms instructors a few times. It's the same thing I find with all these uh, social media influencers these days. Everyone is on there trying to make a name for themselves. And that's great. But I find anytime someone, at least from my instance, I'm I'm curious because I always like to learn and and I love, you know, talking to you, Tony, we had a chance to talk because I can get the why. But when I ask why, it was a conversation like we're having now. And these other influencers, when I've asked a why, like, why are you teaching this particular method or this one? Man, they crim quick and they thrash on you. They want to <laughs> talk down to you. They treat you. You never get an answer. It's like, okay, you don't know the why. You don't know what it is that you're teaching. You're not really that uh, that great, so to speak. You know, so... Uh, I, I found the ones that can articulate and give you a why. Those are the trainers and coaches I think I want to seek out and talk more to do. And that's a good question, I think, to ask when you're vetting trainers in general, because if they can't give you a why or they get defensive or act a certain way, then I feel like you, that's all you need to know, that that's not a, a coach or someone that you need to talk with. I agree with that. And and a lot of them, you know, it's funny uh... – a lot of people just regurgitate what they were taught, right? You know, I mean, yeah. I was taught, I was taught you kick someone in the balls, like when you're street fighting, like if it's a serious fight. And then uh, when I opened my first martial arts school in 1980, uh, well, 1980s when I first started teaching professionally, but my first location was 1985. I had a cop sign up for in you know, Montreal police force. And, uh, and so I'm teaching like scenario stuff and I'm going, okay, if this happens here, you nail the guy here and then kick him in the nuts. And when he doubles over, you can hit him here. And this cop pulls me over after class. He says, I love your passion. I love your enthusiasm. You know, uh, I read about you in the magazines. I couldn't believe you're in Montreal and I'm training with you here. But uh, just I wanted you to let you know that when you get kicked in the balls, it's not physically debilitating. You can keep fighting. You could run. You could do shit. It just hurts, but you can keep moving. It's not like getting punched in the throat or winded. Mm-hmm. Someone hits you with a solar plexus. You, you can, you can wish all you want, but if your body spasms and you go, <laughs> like you see pro fighters get a liver shot, and they have to go down. You can't, you can't not because your 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 physiology says hey, you got to take a knee, man. You are in total spasm here. And um, same thing with, you know, you know, getting hit the wrong way. So he says to me this, but I've been like, I had had this in my belief system for decades, right? It was like, you know, I started when I was 12. I'm now teaching at 25. So going on 13, 14 years, I had been told and believed that getting nailed in the nuts. And we've all, as guys, been hitting the fucking nuts at some point and gone, oh, fuck right and you're doubled over so you can only imagine what like a full-on kick or knee would feel like and here's this cop saying not true and i looked at him and i said and he could see like this perplexed look in my face and he said a guy tried to kill me last year and uh, he said i'm gonna kill you and then we started to go at it and he nailed me in in the groin I doubled over and you went right for my gun and 
I knew he was going to try and kill me because he had told me he was. And then he attacked me. He was trying to get my gun. He said, if I, I knew if I didn't somehow keep fighting, I was going to die that night. And I kept fighting. And, uh, and I was able to fight fine. He said it, it hurt after, but not during. And I was like, holy shit. I said, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for doing it discreetly on the side, not in front of the class. But I said to myself after guys, I was like, how the fuck do you practice that? How do you know? You just got to believe that. What do you, what is it? Okay. Jim kick Ben in the balls. Ben, when you feel okay, kick Jim in the balls. I'll give you five minutes, like in the UFC, right? You got a, a nut shot and I'll give you five minutes to recuperate. Recover. Yeah. But, it, but it's something you got to, you got to believe somebody. So we all have back to your point, Jim, like a lot of guys get defensive. I think, um, because I mean, they don't understand and they should want to understand, but they sometimes they learn something from somebody else or it's become a, a part of their their Houdini magic trick to get everyone either to sign up or to to mm. do, do certain drills or whatever. Um, and they don't they don't know why or if it's relevant anymore. Uh, and um, so now. You know, what was funny is I, like, I knew I couldn't practice this groin concept, but I, I had to ask myself, is that something I'm going to talk about now? Because I had a, a police officer who I trusted, who was a student, very polite, didn't like try to show me up, just say, hey, it's not true. And so I began telling people the story. So I go, listen to the story if it makes sense to you, because if your belief is you will double over, throw up, pass out, and a groin shot is like like the end of your, your fucking run there, mm -hmm. then guess what happens? Someone kicks you in the balls and your nervous system psychologically, you know, that's the whole that's the whole fear thing. I'm fucked. I just got kicked mm -hmm. in the balls pretty hard. So interesting stuff. Yeah, there's, there's so much of your body's physical responses and your your capability that's connected to your self-talk. And you, you know, the the, the self talk is is very often considered, you know, holistic or or homeopathy and whatnot. But it's it's a it's a legitimate thing to take stock of. With, with you mentioning the, the the groin shot, there's a there's a friend of mine that's a, it's known as a vagabond, uh, and these are the guys that do physical tricks, you know. So they you know the spear in the throat, the you know the the pushing ten people at once and whatnot. And one of them was taking a shot in the pills, so to speak. Uh, and, and he would say, I'll, I'll show you the method, but that isn't, that, that, that isn't what it's about. What it's about is standing there and let some, letting somebody rear their foot back, knowing it's coming hurtling towards your, towards your, you know, your carrots and onions, because if you move, then it's going to hurt. If you stay there and take it, the technique will do it for you. And the amount of guys that you would see dive out of the way and take a more painful shot uh, as a result. Uh, and that, that kind of self-talk connection, capability uh, uh, and whatnot. You know, there was a, I used to work as a PT uh, a while back and a, a couple of my clients, they would, they would obsess over hitting a PB, hitting a PB, hitting a PB. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And that's all you would hear over and over and over again. So yeah. I was like, I, I could explain till I'm blue in the face to them why a PB is not important, but they wanted it. So say lovey. So I put a blindfold on them and they were, they were in deadlift position and I take off all the weight. I pick it up. 
put put a few plates on, pick it up, just to the point where they didn't know what the weight was that was going to be on, and then yeah. they'd surpass it by like two or three two or three kilograms, nothing major, so sure. that was going to physically hurt them. So I wonder if you could speak about the kind of power of taking control over that little voice inside of your head that that well, tells I mean, you. That, that's, that's actually that's them. actually an interesting uh, an interesting an interesting. Uh, concept with the blindfolding and everything so well done there but if 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 i say to you you know what's your max deadlift and you say 500 pounds i go wow mm-hmm. that's fucking world class that's good and uh and i say let me see it then you get all warmed up and you get down there and then you know you hit your position and you're you're ready to go and then as you're getting ready to pull a butterfly and i would say a butterfly comes flitting in and it lands on one of the weights. It's no longer 500 pounds. It's 500 pounds plus a butterfly. Did that just, did you just go fuck, right? Wait a minute. This is like lifting chains, but it's a butterfly. It's not even. And, and if you start thinking about that, this, there's a whole lecture I would do for when we do seminars for people with like a, like a strong physical culture background, mm-hmm. I would ask them, what is the weight of fear? Because that will change your PB or your PRs or your your belief in yourself. What is the weight of fear? If I say, how many people can you take in a fight? You go, oh, well, I fought one person, so I could probably do two. And I do this like sometimes like in our multiple sailing course, I'll tell people, hey, who here has been in one fight? Who here has been in a fight with, with more than one person? You get numbers. Yeah, you were in a fight, three people, excellent. What about four? Do you think you could take four? Well, if three was a real problem, but I got away. Okay, what about four, five? And, and without being cavalier, like, you know, like quoting Musashi, if I can fight one person, I could fight 10. If I can fight 10, I could fight 100. If I can fight 100, I can fight 10,000. I remember reading that when I was 15 going, wow, the opium was really good back in Musashi, <laughs> right? But what he was talking about there is just believing in yourself. If the fight's going to happen, fight right give your you know it's the choices choice dan millman who wrote the book the way of the peaceful warrior he said this isn't in the book it's something else i read of his um he said if you face just one opponent and you doubt yourself you're outnumbered one of my nice. favorite quotes ever nice. if you face just one person and you doubt yourself you're outnumbered and and so you know obviously there's there's you know this is you can get silly with this stuff. You can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. We see where that's gone because look at the fucking how crazy the world is now. You can be anything you want, right? No, you can't. That's fucking insane what's going on. <laughs> so there's a, there's a certain speed that you're not going to run faster than. There's a certain height you're not going to jump faster than. You, you run down a hill too fast, you fall. So there's a point where your self-awareness, your spatial awareness, your biomechanic, your nectomorph, your mesomorph, your stride, you know, your all of the stuff going on affects and you can't ride your bike too fast, you lose control. If you try drawing your gun, you've all tried to draw your gun too fast, right? And what happens is it doesn't come out of the holster. You fucking screw up on the, you know, the, uh, I used to, you wear a, uh, like a, like SAS holster a lot for the uh, tactical courses. And if you draw that too fast, you can jam your thumb brake and now your gun's stuck. You got to, now you got to clear that. So there's a speed where it's just, um, 
it's just too fast. So you got to control the mind and you got to figure out where you are in that game. And it all starts back with, you know, it's a neat thing that I do in our business classes because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and business people because at the end of the day, fear, fear is everywhere. We just don't like to call it that, right? You know, hey, why didn't you sign those papers? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you buy this? You're, well, I'm waiting to see. I'm doing a little bit more research. Well, business loves speed and violence loves speed. So if you're moving slower, you know, you're either missing out on market share being there first or you're missing out on that opportunity if this is violence coming at you. And, and so I said this earlier, understanding neurobiology and the mind, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the excellent uh, uh, work of Bill Lewinsky and for science, they just yeah, came out with a study showing the startle response. Like this is stuff that I've been researching for decades. Dr. Lewinsky actually sent me a message going, hey, we just got this research paper that supports what you've been saying. Like, I want to say like, oh, okay, like I've got all, cool. you know, they're like, now they're trying to figure out the right drills. I go, guys, you can do it or I can time collapse for you. Somebody can call me. I'll show you the drills and now you can save 20 years, you know, if you want, or you can figure <laughs> it out slowly, you know. Um, it's, it's really about understanding who we are as human weapons. And I use this, this, um, um, like a, like a gun, a gun armor metaphor where, where I hypothesize and it's true because I've spoken to people, but my hypothesis is that when you take an armorer's course, uh, you're not shooting, you're learning, you're doing an armorer's course. You're not on the range. Right. Yeah. And I always say after the armorer's course, my hypothesis is that you're a better shooter because you've demystified the entire weapon. You feel closer to the technology. You're not intimidated by the type of technology. You're actually, you know, when you're, when you got your grip and you, you went, I've taken apart this weapon system. I put it to back together. I know how it works now that there's a better chance that you're going to be one with your weapon because there's nothing about it. You don't know. And so I go, well, what if we did that with neurobiology, kinesiology, and psychology, which are the three sciences that make up the spear system? Neurobiology says if a stimulus gets introduced too quickly, your executive function will be hijacked. If your executive function will be hijacked, you don't have access to your cognitive brain temporarily. Mm -hmm. your, temp your cognitive brain is where you keep all of the access to neural patterns. There's no such thing as muscle memory in the literal sense or the way people throw it around. Your neural patterns are draw your gun, palm strike the guy, uh, get your hands up, nonviolent posture, run, duck, dive, you know, all the, all the dodge, dodgeball self-defense stuff. Um, movie dodgeball reference, right? Love it. Duck, yeah. Right. So the, but all of that, like if you don't have the neural patterns to do anything, you're just going to freeze. One of the things we talk about in our class, I was just actually working with a pro golfer this weekend. How's that for like, like we're like, here I am, this combatives guy, but his swing coach is a lifelong martial artist. So he's been following me. So he's got this golfer that um, he thinks could benefit from some of our psychology. So they flew out here and here I am like on the golf course going, think about this, think about thinking like, and the guy's amazing, but it's how do you control your mind? Yeah, That's all it is. 
And one of the jokes I made, I said, imagine if the ball could taunt you, right? We're inside the reactionary gap going, hey, I don't want any trouble. Imagine if you're there, you're like you're lining up on the ball and the ball goes, you're going to fucking miss this shot, motherfucker. And I'm going to kick your ass later, right? You know, I got your number, asshole. Like that distraction. So um, the mindset stuff, guys, is everything. The mind navigates the body. Executive function gets hijacked, can't access the cognitive brain. Cognitive brain then is bypassed by the reactive brain. So if I jump through the screen here, you know, both of you are going to go, whoa, like, how did that happen? There'll be a startle flinch. It doesn't matter that you're in, in overseas, man. It doesn't matter that you're in the States. Our physiology will respond to the stimulus based on our perception of the danger and the proximity to the threat, almost identical, regardless of your gender. There's only two. Regardless of your gender and uh, regardless of your training and regardless of your background. Startle flinch looks the same. So what we're doing is, you know, part of our program is how do you weaponize the startle flinch? Meaning how do you, yeah. how do you, how do you clear that malfunction, that perceived malfunction and get back in the fight? And I use the stovepipe as a metaphor that uh, if I go boo to hit you and you go, oh, and your hands come up, that position is actually like your workspace with a firearm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Right. But it's also what happens with the startle response. And you've got to clear your mind and you've got to clear the weapon to get it back in the fight. Well, if your mind is the weapon, you can't officially be fully engaged in whatever problem you're trying to solve if you've got a distracting fear spike. So the metaphor there is that the the metaphoric stovepipe is like a fear spike in your brain, you've got to clear it. And we figured out really simple ways to help people clear that so they can get in there. And the probably the biggest reframe or light bulb moment for people in the program is they'll go through the program, whether they hire me live or Zoom or do our digital course. And there's an assumption that when you finish it, you are now exempt from future fear. And I go, no. What this means now is, you know, you know how to clear the fear if you choose to do it. The fear, the fear will happen. Life is a roller coaster ride. There is going to be fear, emotional, psychological, triggered by financial relationship, health, violence, politics, everything where you're going, oh my God, did you see this tweet? And that can change your physiology and everything you do that day. So learning how to change your relationship fear can change your mind. If you can change your mind on purpose, you can change your day, figure out the algorithm from there. That means you got a better chance of controlling your week and your month and your life. Um, here's one last thing that I'll, I'll uh, and I'm happy to answer any questions, uh, but the, the, uh, there's a, I do this with our business people. When you're in the fear loop, you're consuming time. You're worrying about the future. And the more you understand about managing fear means the faster you get out of the fear loop, which means that managing fear is also managing time. And if you start to think deeply about this, of how, you know, like I talked to, let's say an entrepreneur who uh, finally quits his job and starts his, his, his purpose, passion project, right? And, and I go, how long ago did you know that you hated what you were doing, didn't like your boss, weren't going anywhere, but you just 
were scared and you rationalized it, you'd never said, I'm scared to leave. You and I got a good job, I got a good salary, I got health care. You know, uh, fuck it, I'll stay here and see where it goes, right? But you knew. And it's never, yeah, yesterday I realized this, and so I put in my notice tomorrow. It's always, always three, four, five, six, seven years. Yeah. The same with relationships, the same with, you know, we wait till the doctor says, you are 60 pounds overweight and you're, you better change your fucking diet. We get an alarm system after our house is broken into, right? People aren't, people aren't proactive with this shit. I wait till I'm really scared shitless to look into, it's a fucking superpower. There's ways to practice courage and it's not as hard as people think. I'm right. I'm right. No, that's, that's, that's hundred percent. I couldn't uh, agree with you more on any of that, Tony. And it all falls into, I think, too, with uh, proper self-care, you know? Yeah. Giving yourself and putting it in the right way and putting that energy. Uh, and back what you said, too, yeah, one of the things I tell people all the time is, uh, I'm glad you said it, because every time I hear muscle memory, it, it that that is a trigger for me. It's a trigger word, because muscles don't have memories. I tell right. people, look, you're, you know, if you get neurons, you know, you, you wire them together, they will fire together. So make sure you're wiring the right ones. You know, it's like the wiring harness in a car. You want to make sure you run together so your lights work and everything else work that we're not miswiring these things. And that's what we we have with people when they get to come across these bad coaches or don't get uh, the right training and awareness and things. They get their wires crossed, and then it takes a little wire a little bit to unwire that and then redo them. You know, but it can be done. Um, and that, that's a huge thing that I hope people are taking away from these nuggets. Um, cause our, our motto for, for our company is we tell people, you know, right mind, right weapon. And it's about getting yourself in that moment in the right mindset and choosing the weapon. And it doesn't have to be anything physical. It could be making the right decision in that moment, you know, avoiding, escaping, engaging, you know, as a last means necessary, um, in those regards. And then I think just just to wrap this up here, it's been a really great conversation. What is one good tip? Um, I know you've you touched on microdosing workouts and stuff like that uh, with busy travel schedules, which I think is huge. If guys in executive protection aren't paying attention to reading what you have, and that's the biggest thing a lot of guys struggle with is maintaining their level of peak physical, mental fitness, um, and that self care aspect. What is one good key takeaway? that you could give people that work in those type of communities, you know, that are busy, those, those first responders and they could take whether they, they could start applying today that could help them better manage their mindset. And in turn, that, that fear response that you've been yeah. talking about today. I mean, uh, I don't want this to be a shameless plug because we talked about it in the beginning literally, literally today was their graduation call. So it's fresh on my mind. It was at, at zero eight this morning. Uh, but you know, we had, uh, um, uh, uh, critical uh, uh, critical uh, care nurse, uh, uh, airline pilot for major airline. We had multiple police officers, uh, correction, martial artists, you know, in, in this. And it was this BTS 90 program where every single day I'm in contact with you. And it's all about uh, self-care from the, through the spear filter, through the no fear filter. So it's like, how do I look at fear in my daily life? Uh, because the, the, the actual event, and you guys know this in the executive protection field, you know, it's bombs aren't going off every day. 
that there's a lot of monotony if you're doing your job properly. And, and uh, so how do you keep yourself super sharp? How do you keep yourself explosive and agile and, and mentally and physically uh, as, as ready as possible? And what you need to do, I figured out, so the program is something I figured out because, you know, I'm 63 now and I'm still out doing de demos and teaching and I teach four times a week on Zoom live to different groups. And I've been doing that like, you know, we started that like three years ago when the world went nuts and we've continued to doing it, do it because I realized in starting this tactical garage gym, we call it, uh, that I can reach people all over the world that could never afford to either travel, mm. take the time off, but they can, you know, they can log in live or watch the recording. But to answer your question specifically, I would tell you all, you know, uh, obviously, you know, we're all entrepreneurs, even the people listening to this, you, you want that next gig, you want to get that cool, you know, contract that puts you on the road for this amount of time. And you, in the back of your mind, you go, yeah, I love being in executive production, but you also wouldn't do that if they weren't paying you. So everyone's in business here. And, um, I would tell you to, to sign up for our program and see what happens in 90 days. It's it because there's a science and psychology to what I figured out. And this is this is like I run my company has four verticals. We got our high gear. We got all our, our law enforcement, military training. We got training for, for people who teach self-defense. We've got a general public division for like our be your own bodyguard uh, uh, online courses. All of this stuff, it's exhausting. I got six dogs, I got three kids. I, I you know, I got my wife, I, like, and I'm all over the place. And I write all the time. How do I stay in shape? I don't have time to go to the gym, drive to a gym, do a 90 minute workout, drive home, take a shower, go to work. So what I started doing was micro dosing workouts, right? I started doing what I call tactical snacks. And the tactical snack was, uh, if I was seating, sitting in a chair, I would get up. We just had uh, in our graduation call, uh, one of the one of the uh, participants was a lawyer. I said, did, did anyone, because they're supposed to, to track, we've got a whole app to track. And I said, Bridget, uh, like, do you know how many extra spear push-ups? We have tactical squats. We got uh, uh, tactical get-ups, ways to get off the ground. And what these are are just pillar movement patterns that you will need to navigate violence. It's not like, oh, it's not a John Wick fight scene. It's I need to be able to convert my flinch, hit a bad guy, move a person, get to cover. There's like these big primal gross motor movements. So we built a whole program around that where, where she said that she did something like 4,800 extra spear push-ups in the and they're very specific types of push-ups uh you know built around how we flinch and how we move our hands and drive so the kinetic chain is a a it's a the propulsion to fire the finger splayed outside 90 is connected to a primal position your body would be put in at a non-conscious level so if i scared you and you did that this is one of the positions for a push-up so that I deploy my hands towards the threat like a biological airbag, which is also a wonderful metaphor, you know, that, that, you know, you've all been in car accidents, your situational awareness and driving skill didn't stop the car accident. 
So that should, if you're a deep thinker, debunk this theory that head on a swivel and I'm a black belt and every martial art is going to save you. Because if that were true, no one would ever get in a car accident. Somebody else hit you in the car accident. And if the speed and impact were significant, the airbag deployed and the airbag saved you from going through a windshield or going through into the, your steering wheel or whatever. In the same way, I could be here with my gun or here uh, indexing the shoulder of my principal and I got my, you know, some documents in this hand, even though I shouldn't have my hands occupied and something kicks off and I got to move. Does my body know how to move from the flinch? And that's the thing mm -hmm. that, that goes over a lot of people's head. Anyways, my one, I, I, I restarted our talk, <laughs> but the, <laughs> guys, we're going another three hours. I'm going to tell you the whole program, but the, uh, but the, but what was amazing was, and I'll tell you a, a couple of, of uh, uh, success stories here. Um, all of these people had their own physical training protocols. Like they went to the gym three times a week. What I just said is you're going to add, when you get up from your desk, I want you to do these two things. When you, you know, so I'm at my desk here. I've got a cert pistol here. I'm, I'm standing right now, but like mm -hmm. if I was sitting in my chair, there's a way I would, I would get up, hit a two point stance. I immediately, if I said, okay, I'm going to take a break. I got to go to the bathroom. What I would do is something like I would go, uh, uh, okay, there's a threat near my door. I would nonchalantly draw my weapon, get out there like in position angle, fire a couple of, sh uh, you know, shots from my chair, then stand up, you know, clear my room for a second. I'm in my little private office, put my gun down and go, fuck, I'm 63. I got to go to the bathroom. Go. Right. But what I ended up doing in 90 days, if I said, I'm going to do that this week, I did an extra 300, not just standing on a flat range, an extra 300 reps, grabbing my gun in a casual way, uh, getting up tactically from my chair, moving away from my desk. Well, your desk is going to be there. No, but there's going to be a table somewhere. There's going to be an obstacle. So it was this, it's almost like it's compound interest on 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 uh, uh you know a bank deposit i want you to take a penny every hour for two minutes and i would do like i created a two-minute workout for them so if i said to you ben you know jim you got two minutes you go yeah i want you to do uh, 20 of these push-ups 20 of these tactical squats 10 of these tactical get-ups and two times the spear form and i want you to do that like pomodoro every fucking 20 minutes as an alarm goes off Right. Or you might go, you know, every hour on the hour. But if you do it like on a six hour day, you just did 120 more push ups times 90 days. We had one cop. Uh, do either of you get my newsletter? Yep, no, I, I don't. Yeah. So, Jim, you, you can see it on Monday's newsletter. I described the whole program there. Uh, we had one cop, this guy, Randy Linder at Louisiana, dropped 35 pounds. This isn't a weight loss program. It's just his whole mindset changed. And guess what? He would, he, one of his, one of his tactical snacks. So I give all these ideas. Hey, like I said, do you, did you ever, do you have a ritual of watching a couple of TV shows every night? Yeah. So if you're not on cable, you get commercials, fucking do your tactical snacks during the commercials. So he started doing all these tactical snacks during his commercials a month and a half in his wife started doing them with him. 
So like, like, like that's like amazing for relationship development. They're doing self-defense yep. stuff together. They're working out together. They're losing weight now, but just like crazy stuff like that, where, uh, you know, so if you're on the road and you got a crazy schedule, like this is the answer. It's tactical snacks, it's microdosing workouts. And that doesn't change if, if you're an early riser and you want to go to the gym and, you know, and do, you know, bench press and curls and get on the, uh, on the elliptical or, or the treadmill, of course do that. But can you fill downtime with something meaningful that's going to make you sharper if the shit hits the fan? And, and, and that's the whole thing is, you know, everything we did was designed through the idea of, if you know, my, my philosophy is a stimulus gets introduced too quickly. We say all fights are dangerous, but the most dangerous fight is an ambush. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not practicing what's going to happen at a neurobiological, psychological level for the ambush, then, then there's a void in your training. No, that that's, that's perfect tidbits there. I love it because I, I keep a cert pistol near my door every time I leave and enter the house. I do the same thing. I grab target something in the house, clear part of the house, do something and you Good. get your reps, you know, and I, I try to tell other guys that I've worked in law enforcement, you come in, take everything out your duty belt when you before you should put everything back in and you are getting those reps of getting your gear in and out of the holes every day. And you don't have to go to a range or anything, but you can you continue what we talked about earlier, we're wiring those neural wires so that when the time comes, they're ready to fire. Um, yeah. And then I'll say, Coach, uh, just to kind of wrap it up, you know, where can people find you? Um, the Tactical Garage Gym, it was phenomenal. Um, I was able to get in that. Um, I was able to catch a couple live ones, but I'm one of the video catchers. Um, but yeah. I, I love what you do with that, putting into it. Because uh, I, I, I actually appreciated the, uh, I'll call it like the crazy scientist type vibe. Because the garage, you know, you have set up with the, the workout stuff, but you got all these whiteboards everywhere with, you know, there's just yeah. tons of notes. You can, yeah, I can like see it now. I didn't think it was a newsletter. I have it here as well. I could see the push-ups being done on the stands. And yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, listen, guys. It's a really you know, great program, um, but I want people to be able to find you. Uh, where, where can they find you? Where can they find these courses? Where can they, you know, get access to you? Well, I don't know if you share the links my team sent with you. It will, you it will all be in description. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, if you're listening here, you know, just go to the landing page for the podcast and look down. There's a bunch of links. But if you go to my main website that kind of like disperses to everything is called BlauerTrainingSystems.com. It's my last name, B-L-A-U-E-R, TrainingSystems.com. But, you know, we've been around for decades. So if you just do a Google search for Tony Blauer, uh, you know, you'll find our websites. Uh, we've got a website called No Fear Now. You know, if you're interested in the mindset, the performance stuff, uh, we just launched a new program that I think every one of you uh, should invest in called the Human Weapon System. And uh, that that actually gives you, if you do that course, it's 10 of 10 lessons about, I think, 14 hours worth of knowledge, an 80 page uh, book broken up into chapters for each uh, digital chapter. So it's the first ever book on smear that I've written. It's, it's, it's in there. Um, it gives you as a bonus a month of the garage gym after. So once you've done these 10 lessons, which like you could finish that in 10, 12 hours. And I promise you, I don't care if you're a black belt in jujitsu, Taekwondo, Kung Fu, Wushu, Thai boxing, 
um, and I'm a martial artist my whole life, this is not a put down, this will improve your self-defense IQ. This system, because what I'm explaining to you is something that, that you know Jim said earlier on, you can ask me any question, why are we doing this? Talk to me from a neurobiological, neuroscience, physiological level, kinesiology, kinematics, psychology, and I'll talk your fucking head off explaining why, and you don't even need to know all that, right? But, but it, you, you know, in our train the trainer courses, we talk about SME means for most people, subject matter expert. And I always define the subject matter expert as somebody who's memorized someone else's material. And that anyone who trains with us is a substance matters expert. You're an SME in our stuff, but we're teaching you that the substance matters. Why are we doing this? And then you can explain it. And if somebody understands the why, they can lean into it. They can decide how much, how important this is to them and invest in that. So I would tell you guys, get the human weapon system because you can watch it on your phone, a laptop, an iPad, on your TV, whatever you want. Now you're training. It's all filmed first person as if you hired me for a private Zoom lesson. You got the written material there. You get access to the live stuff. Um, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's, invalu it's invaluable because it's, it's learning how to, you know, it's like you got a 67 Mustang. You're a really good driver. You fixed your car up, but you know what's missing from that car? Airbags. So you can have, you can be in great shape and you can know everything about strategy and proximity sense and distance. And, uh, you know, you've read all of Gavin De Becker's books and everyone else's on, you know, assassination attempts and this and that. But guess what? Shit still happens. How do you manage your fear while you're driving, while you're training, while you're fighting, while you're, you know, you, you might even be going into audition for a fucking high level opportunity. There's fear there, just like an actor. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, um, managing pre-fight, you know, you know, what's funny is Bill, uh, Bob Willis, a very famous cop retired now. Well, he's one of the authors of, uh, Jim might know this, uh, Street Survival and Tactical Edge, those, those encyclopedic books that Caliber Press released decades ago. He was one of the co-authors with Gary Klugitz on that. Bob Willis saw me teach in 1994-95 at the ASLEC conference. They, they, they don't even exist anymore. Uh, that's how old I am. I was there with Moses, and he was like <laughs> chipping away at the at the... Ten Commandments. He was on Commandment Two, and I said, "Start a flinch." And he said, "No." But the, uh, um, but Willis saw me teaching, and he said, "You teach the first, the three seconds before the fight. Everyone else teaches." Amazing. I love that quote, right? Because Amazing. what it was is that that's pre-fight. If you remember Minority Report, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like pre, so pre-fight is like, holy shit! Can you clear the fear? Because that's going to help you access your your training and your movement amazing thank you so much for your time today sir i i, I we, we could have very much gone on to part two three four and, and and so on and so forth but we'll we'll save that for a we'll save that for a later day so guys as i'm sure you have gotten so much out of today make sure you go and so, uh, go and show coach blower some love through these courses and through all the information that he's putting out and make sure you check out the links that are in the description below uh, and above all make sure you're following along to us uh, with the old subscription button there it's the free tool that you can click on that make guys like us 
very happy. So with that in mind, we're going to love you and leave you, and we'll see you all next time. Take care.